Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Calling all detectives. When I loaned a man the price of a train ticket and a meal, I made an advance payment on murder. That is the situation on this page for my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. A private detective like me, Jerry Browning, usually finds himself in a hot spot just when he thinks he's sitting pretty. Seated in the parlor car of one of the Great Valley's best short-line trains, I was winding up a routine report to Wilbur Norris, the railroad's vice president. Looked at my watch. Figured it'd be at least another 45 minutes of riding, so I headed for the diner. I followed the steward to a seat opposite a fat, smooth-faced, middle-aged man. I sat down, said something inane about the weather, and then turned my attention to the menu. I wrote out my order, but all the time I was watching my fellow traveler. The guy was in a dither. Waiter, waiter, please serve me. I must eat at once. Bring my order. I smiled at his impatience, and just then the conductor reached our table. Take it, please. I surrendered mine, but my table companion fumbled through all his pockets, seemed to find nothing but a flat leather case. I, I'm sorry, I seem to have left my wallet with my ticket in it at home. The waiter brought his food just then, started serving it. You'll have to find your ticket, mister, by another. I'll be back in a minute. I felt sorry for the guy. You don't look to me like anybody who'd try to defraud a railroad. How about letting me pay for your dinner and ticket? You will. Thank you so much. I'll buy us for money as soon as we reach Plainville. Give me your card, and when I get home, I'll send you a check. That seemed to close the deal as far as he was concerned, because he tore into his food as though he hadn't eaten in days. He poured some coffee, took a small bottle from his pocket, dropped two pellets into his coffee cup, drank deeply, and then... collapsed on the table. I reached across the table... And knew I was touching a dead man. On a train, I offered to help out a man who'd forgotten his wallet. But he died before I even learned where he'd come from. By the time the train pulled into the Great Valley Terminal in town, the conductor and steward had managed to get the body out of the dining car. I went straight to Wilbur Norris's office in the terminal building. Mr. Norris, I just came in with a man who was supposed to get off at Plainville. But he died on the trip. His body's still on the train. Wilbur Norris chewed on his cigar, glared at me. I don't know his name, sir, but the thing could be murder. A poisoning. Poison? No poison in our train. Strictly against regulations. Let the police handle it. Okay. Uh, he died while eating dinner in a Great Valley dining car. 
Browning, you know what a great believer in justice I am. Get back on that train. Solve that murder. Spare no expense. Just spare me the details. I went back to the train, talked with Dr. Russell Gilliland, the coroner. He held out the tiny bottle I'd seen earlier. This is a container for saccharin. I get it. Somebody pulled a switch on him. Poor guy, he was probably taking the stuff to reduce. The coroner shook his head, lifted the huge arm of the corpse. I saw it was full of tiny punctures. Now, Browning, this man was a diabetic. Took insulin. You saw him on the diner. Tell me, did he eat ravenously? That's the word, Doc. That explains why he had to eat at a certain time. Right. Too long a period elapses between injection of the drug and receiving food. A patient can go into a diabetic coma and die. Such patients generally carry a card that tells what to do for him in emergency. Seems funny to forget that. Sure does. Hey, but wait. I reached in the dead man's pocket, pulled out the leather case, opened it. Its contents were the last things I expected. Photographs of two beautiful young women. One was blonde and gentle-looking, the other dark and intense. I put in a call to Plainville. I'm trying to identify a man who died en route to your town, Chief. Smooth-faced, weighed about 210, suffered from diabetes, about 50. Maybe has two daughters, girls about 20 to 25. I see. Nobody you know of. And you know everybody in town. Okay, thanks. I released the photographs to the cops for their information-wanted flyers, gave prints to the Daily Bulletin. The Bulletin ran the pictures with a note for out-of-town papers, please copy. I even stopped in at one of the big studios in town. Uh, look, uh, how's about running these photos on your tonight's news telecast? That last was a good idea, and it brought results fast. Twenty minutes after the telecast, a long-distance call came in, and I was back on a Great Valley train headed for Clarkton, the town I'd been in that morning. I was met at this station by the two girls who were the originals of the photos and their lawyer, Henry Graham. Mr. Browning, I must thank you for all the trouble you've taken. And now may I present Miss and Mrs. Jameson. I'd been half right. Only one of the girls was the dead man's daughter. The other, the willowy blonde, was his second wife. They both clung to me and wept. A newspaper photographer stepped up. Hold it. And now, Miss Jameson, I suppose you'll be marrying Ricky Saunders. Your father can't stop that anymore. That photographer said the wrong thing. In a flash, the darkly beautiful Miss Jameson left off clinging to me, started swinging at the photographer. We calmed her down, and I turned to Mrs. Jameson. You take your stepdaughter home and try to get some rest yourself. You're going to need it. I didn't take my own advice. I got on a train for Plainville, went to the sleepy chief of police. You wasting your time, mister. Told you over the phone I never heard of your man. His name was Jameson. Nope, I still never heard of him. I got out the leather folder, let him look at the pictures of the two women. Then he woke up. Hey, yeah, I don't know who this Darkin is, but that little blonde is Dottie Barton. Had herself three husbands. All died. All just thought I'd check into that someday. I didn't take any more trains. I let the police back in Clarkton handle it the rest of the way. Sure. Dottie Barton, Mrs. Jameson, confessed. She specialized in marrying middle-aged, ailing men whose sudden deaths wouldn't arouse too much suspicion. She had a nice scheme set up for Jameson. Steal his wallet so that without money or means of identification, he wouldn't be able to get food when he needed it, and thus go into diabetic shock. 
But when she saw his ticket for Plainville, she realized her husband had become suspicious and was going there to check on her. She couldn't risk the possibility that he might be able to borrow money, so she substituted poison for his saccharin tablets, made sure he'd die. Like I said, a murderer may be sitting pretty, but where he or she generally winds up sitting is in a chair that's wired for voltage. <laughs> 